What, what do you think of uh, this, this fifty years of fifty year King Crimson plan? Before we get started, uh, well, I called it. We got we got the twelve commemorative T-shirts. They're coming in. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, you made a good point. Like where where is where is the vinyl thrack? Where's uh? I don't you get know. what what the holdup is on that. Like, unlike- May, part of me thinks that maybe it's just like a like a mastering thing. Like because it was made, um, with digital tapes he doesn't want to do an analog version of it like i could see him going that route being like an audiophile and, and taking that stance but he's released like all his all those live recordings and those are all digit i mean some of those have been put those, on vinyl. those aren't on vinyl though yeah some of them are live in toronto was vinyl oh oh yeah and then i thought you were talking about like and, the fripper trunks for oh, some reason no or like the ran- or like random there's like a couple like random picture vinyls that they put out that were always like crazy expensive from this 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 lineup so have, oh here's know. the letters and uh a couple other songs that you probably don't care too much about <laughs> here's the letters uh scarcity of miracles uh, yep. an, an interlude yes the interlude you gotta have one in there of course i i got, um, I got my what was the first live album they put out with that lineup i i bought that vinyl where it was the first pro where it had a oh the orpheum theater one yeah i have that one that was really mixed weird yeah that's yeah they they took a while to get in stride they're they're still not fully in their stride with these live releases but but i am i am excited about uh the dock they're the more that they talk about the dock the more that it means it won't slip into nothingness and uh this um the fucking uh the 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 construction of light uh box set thing i forget what it's called oh yeah heaven and earth yeah I'm I'm um, excited because two things. One, because it's covering '99 to uh, 08 to 08. So I hope that means we're gonna get um, some more 2004 material, which there is. They've I think released like three or four tracks from 2004, like just studio uh, fumblings. I hope there's more of it um, from the very the very short lived line double duo with Levin instead of uh, of Gun. Um, the other thing is that they announced that there's there's another they found another board recording from uh, the Larks lineup with Moyer. Wait, what? Uh, they said that uh, what a, a recently discovered, I missed that one. A recently discovered recording of of the concert in Newcastle by the complete Larks lineup before Jamie left the band. That's pretty because most of those most of the shows by that lineup sound like dog shit. So. That's probably the most exciting thing. I, that's I, that's extremely exciting. They should have that on a billboard in Vegas, for Christ's <laughs> sakes! Like, goddamn, I don't know how I missed that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's part of the last the last three collectors clubs releases, so they're only doing three more. So I'm curious what 49 and 50. I'm wondering if either 49 or 50 will be another 2008 performance because there's still only the Chicago show. So that'd be Newcastle 72, right? Yep. Trying to see what the the set list is. See if we get some some tasty improvisations. Oh, I'm. I mean, that lineup. That's that's what they they thrived on. Uh, anyways. So, um, I yeah, I think I think it'll be that. That's probably the to me the the best part of it is um some some more uh. uh Double drumming goodness. I mean, at this point, I would say that uh, I would say that yeah, that's that's the highlight, right? For sure. Yeah. But um, other than that, I mean, I think they said they're releasing another <laughs> another mix up in the court. Really? So, uh, yeah. I, I, I just I, I saw that something was listed there. I just figured it was the the same old. I didn't think they were going back again. I think it's uh, now Jocko's mix of, oh, of this God. of this fucking. <laughs> in, in the court is the the town bicycle of King Crimson albums. Everybody's getting a fucking ride. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> you get a mix. You get a mix. You get a mix. I didn't realize. Uh, it Yo, was... when are we gonna get to remix in the court, Alex? I, I don't know. I'm really. <laughs> they should really just release the stems publicly so anyone can. Uh, any, anyone can re- mix it. That'd be. That'd be we a... get the get the EDM trap version of Epitaph that we've all been waiting for. Oh my. 
can hear it. Uh, my God. Um. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the one last thing I'll say from this little post they had online, I thought it was kind of cool that uh, I didn't realize when the album came out, it took out Abbey Road in in, in the Japanese international charts. It, it took the number one slot from from Abbey Road. That's kind of cool. In that Japan, is that day, hey, you know, big in Japan. It's a yeah. thing. And they also have it looks like the the photo they posted. It it looks like a frip. Frip playing without a seat, or there's a stool there. Never mind, I see the. Stool. I saw that. That was I've seen. I've looked at photos of of that era of the band, and there aren't a lot of good ones, but that's definitely one of the best ones. Yeah. Oh, so there's no there's no set list posted for this uh, Newcastle concert, so it's a total wild card. I that mean, makes it even more exciting. I mean, I'll assume it's Lark's one book of Saturday, a big juicy improv, easy well, money exiles. Like I want, I I want a lot of improv, but like sometimes they do, they wouldn't do that much. Sometimes they do like a like a couple of four minute ones, and then right. like sometimes they do like three twenty minute ones. Want those three twenty minutes, baby? There were one. They played twenty um, first century once. I mean, so that's possibly on the table. In seventy two. Yeah, at the Hall Technical College. There's a they did they did. I mean, that's. That recording isn't great, but they did they did play 21st Century. I'm like I'm in for whatever. Like the, the the honestly, apart from like new songs, like new actual songs, like maybe like a studio recording of like Doctor Diamond or something. Like more live Jamie Muir material is is pretty much the one thing I can think of that would wet my whistle at this point. So right, because everything else, I think there's just. I mean, I'm not complaining, but we—I think we have just about everything else we need. I feel like they—they they must have realized their mistake if they only did one board recording with Mir, and like we have like every fucking show from like '73, '74, and '75. Frit must have realized his mistake in like not capturing that magic. So this—I have a feeling this show is going to be something good. Especially if it's a board recording, it's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be decent quality. Yeah, I don't even like with that era, especially. I don't, I don't fuck with the audience shit, just because like. Oh, it sounds like there, there's there's no way that Mirror's stuff is not going to sound ear grating. Like it's it's going to be loud. It's going to be up front probably. Oh no, there's some really bad. There was one they gave away for free just because it was pretty much completely incomprehensible. <laughs> um, and then there were uh, there was I think I think it's the Green's play Green's Playhouse. Uh, it, it just sounds like total garbage it's completely unlistenable um zoom club is the only one that i'll really jam to that's got a pretty rough recording but just just because the improvs in that one are yeah that's got like a 45 minute one right oh it's it goes on they they didn't stop playing (laughs) in crimson they're the og bruce springsteen ignoring curfew requests yeah and (laughs) playing onward rip Rip, not known for knee sliding, crotch first into a camera no. during the Super Bowl, though. Unfortunately, maybe, maybe someday. Maybe. Or Crimson retires. <laughs> That's how he's gonna go out. He's gonna smash. Yeah. He's smash his little stool. He's gonna. It's all been building to this because he's always played on the stool. So the moment he gets off it and does that epic knee slide, dude, that's that'll be the end of King Crimson. <laughs> you, you, you know it's over then. Just before that, England had not fully gotten into the, the prog rock craze. They were still deep in the throes of the blues and blues rock and uh, creating their own spin on um, American music. Yes, they they got the blues. Let me let me tell you, as as evidenced in these three recordings, each singer will protest multiple times. If they got the blues and there ain't a damn thing that can be done to to help the poor little guys out. Right. So Chris today proposed that we listen to three band, three British bands takes on the blues and then we discuss them. And uh, I said, and we have a just to, to reveal a little behind the curtain, we have like a list of episode ideas um, that we just have. You know, when we if we don't have, we can just pull something out and be like, all right, th- today this is going to happen. 
And uh, this has just been sitting at the top of the list. And the list is in no discernible order. It's just, hey, whenever we come up with something. And so it was at the top of the list. So when we're like, hey, what do we start off with with 2019? Ah, oh, fuck it. This is, this is fine. The blues. Um, the blues, <laughs> sure. And I deeply regret it, as we'll get into. <laughs> but unfortunately, I've also revealed that Chris can now game the system because now he knows yes. the deep methodical nature of my uh, – I know I'm the thinking. methodology and the mythology of the, of the Google spreadsheet that we use. <laughs> I have I'm I'm he man. I have the fucking power, man. You have you have oh man, you're like so uh, this, you're like I would savage put, the wizard. Oh my god. It's it's gonna get savage, I'll tell you that. So I don't know bad. about Um But yeah, I would I would say that this goes into your uh your Riff and Rock historical explorations box. British blues is of course a uh a, a huge thing on popular music. Any band playing uh, with a guitar, a bass, and a drum set, or even one of them probably, is uh, likely to have at least one influence from this era of uh, electronic rock music. Um, and so today we're going to be looking at, uh, we, we call it three takes on British blues. We have Jeff Beck's Truth, who, uh, you know, he brings a little bit of the heavy side. We got we got Jethro Tull, uh, who early on in their career, they were more of a blues band. They still had that weird whimsy. As I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, uh, Ian Anderson's weird vocal inflections and not, surprisingly not singing about Christmas, uh, which is pretty crazy. Um, and then rounding up the back, we got, uh, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, also very similar to Jethro Tull in that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not how, how we know them to sound like. Right. Uh, so yeah, what do you like? We're, we're Stevie Nicks. <laughs> they don't even have Christine, uh, Christine McVie. Yeah. With her with her deep sultry vocals. It's uh it's it's a very very different sounding band. Uh it is. People forget that there was there was a band before uh there there was something going on before rumors came out. Mm-hmm. And that they were all before they're all super jacked on cocaine. Before before the cocaine and divorces. <laughs> before they turned into the ultimate seventies metaphor. <laughs> cocaine they kind of are. Basically. Like when I think of the seventies, I think of I think even though they're not my favorite bands. I think of Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles. Just yeah. like in, in, in terms of like encapsulating an era, they definitely do it. Um, so what do we what do we want to jump into first here? Well, you you already laid out the order. You said you gave us Jeff Beck first, which is his album Truth, released in 1968. And uh, I don't know much of anything about Jeff Beck other than um, uh. Except for in Frank Zappa's song "Punky's Whips," they they refer to how fluid Jeff Beck is, um, <laughs> and I think he was a yardbird once, and that's he that's, was a yardbird, and that's he was, really as far as I know. He was the pre-Jimmy Page yardbird, and you can definitely see the resemblance here. It's almost like they're they they're they're twins separated at the zygote or, or whatever. I'm not a biologist here. Um, but there, there are very similar things going on in this album that, that Jimmy Page would be doing later on. Um, notably, a mix of lighter and heavy tracks, something which I think is a, uh, a negative to the album. I think, I think that the, we might as well jump in there. I think that the biggest, uh, problem with this album is the sequencing. What, what do you think about that? Um, my biggest problem with the album is while Jeff Beck has, if I were to compare all three, I would say the most, talented or display of talent is here on jeff beck's truth um uh with a lot more hey high wire guitar solos and playing around and funky drum fills and stuff and wild wild and crazy bass um the problem is jeff beck remind jeff beck's truth is almost like the blues version of a dream theater album where yeah there's a lot of talent but i don't fucking care about a single one of these songs (laughs) Except for I think it was uh, there's one I wrote down that I said was pretty decent. Let's take a look here. I said Bolero, Bex Bolero was fine, but these are a lot of very blue staples structured songs, and he does not add anything new to the mix uh, that you wouldn't get from like a BB King or an Albert King or a Stevie Ray Vaughan from the other side of the pond. Um, he doesn't add anything that makes me go, oh wow, I'm excited to listen to this. It's just he's really good at the guitar. Yeah, he sort of he sort of did it first. I would say the the things that he brings to the table that are new here, the guitar playing, 
Um, I can't think of anyone who knows their way around a wah pedal at this point in history better than him, except for maybe, maybe Hendrix and, and Zappa. Yeah. Um, they were sort of early adopters like he was. Um, you really don't start hearing it until 68, which is when this album came out. And I think it came out in the early half of 68. So I think it's fair to say he was, uh, an early adopter of it. And then you have Rod Stewart doing the, uh, the, the wailing falsetto vocals that would become a mainstay in the seventies. Um, so I'd say, I'd say those two things, um, are new to the table here. The, the Bolero song I do like, it's not my favorite rockin', uh, Bolero right. <laughs> that's out there, <laughs> <laughs> but it is good. Um, it, it actually, it, it predates the album. That is from 67. That was, uh, a single that he released and decided to put on the album. It has, uh, Nicky Hopkins on piano, who is a, uh, he's a 70, he's a, he's a session musician. He was on a lot of Rolling Stones and, and Led Zeppelin stuff. And okay. then, uh, you have John Paul Jones on bass and, uh, Keith Moon on drums. And I believe Paige and, uh, Beck are, are both on guitar here. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a bona fide jam sesh. Get, <laughs> smoke them if you got them, gents. Um, <laughs> My my favorite track on this uh on this I would say is uh I ain't superstitious uh the closing track um it's a barn burner there's there's really nothing I can I can say apart from that uh it it just brings the fucking ruckus and like a lot of these albums are albums that I I listened to a long time ago um and and they sort of um stuck out I think partially because uh you know they're so different from um, what the artists would be doing later on in their career. But like this one, for instance, uh, is one I've listened to a lot. I have this on vinyl. And every time I listen to it, I when I'm immediately done, I'm like, okay, this isn't as good as I remember. And then like a couple <laughs> days later, a couple days later, that, that sort of recedes. And I'm, and I'm still like, man, Truth is a really cool album. And I think that I, think that I Ain't Superstitious has a lot to do with that because um, my main thesis on this album is that while there are weak points, um, I think the strong points sort of carry them along. That track in particular for me. Um, like the intro shapes of things, we, we did, uh, another version of that song when we recorded, uh, the, the episode with the Yardbirds live album. Um, this one, I'm, I'm not a fan of it as a version. And I feel that for this, it sort of starts the album off in a real weird spot, I think. I think it's, it's a, it's a really janky take on it. Like I could imagine, uh, Beck and Stewart getting in an argument in the studio over who should be louder because Beck seems like really loud in this song and, and Stewart is, is almost a little too quiet. Like the mixing is definitely weird on it. I don't know if you, uh, found that. I had weird thoughts on that album. Um, to me, it sounded like a weird mixture of the live intro to Black Dog from, uh, How the West Was Won mm-hmm. and also Sister Christian. <laughs> It has like it's like I kept waiting for them to be like motoring, because <laughs> that's how it sounds like. It sounds like Sister Christian. It's a uh, it's night it's 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 Night Ranger, um and uh it was it was that song actually that song was okay. I don't remember it on the Yardbirds album. Shows you how much I remember that. <laughs> um, but it was fine. But then like it kind of just dips into like a whole lot of blue staples that i just don't i mean you got you got a cover of old man river you got a cover of green sleeves i i like the old man river i thought it was good okay okay um <laughs> it's a weird take i know yeah it, i'm just like what this is just really random uh blues deluxe is just seven and a half minutes of uh like very very uh milk toast blues music um yeah with the with the fake audience and like oh, I other acts live, in, i just thought that was a live take no that's fake um and like hendrix did it the beatles did it zappa did it where they where they would do like a fake tongue-in-cheek live thing which i think is what beck is going for here like like a like a bb king or, or albert king live album type feel like a homage to that sort of thing Ooh, that makes but, it more embarrassing yeah, it definitely falls flat on its face, mostly because they use a really rapid fade on the same uh, audience sound every single time it comes in, where it's like, wow, these guys are... 
A, they're really disciplined clappers, and B, really consistent clappers. <laughs> um, so props to the, the studio audience uh, for that one. Um, yeah, that's definitely a low point on, on this uh, on this record for me, too, the Blues Deluxe. Uh, it, it, did not, it felt more dollar menu than uh, Deluxe for me. <laughs> blues dollar menu. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's – I don't know. I mean, this, this is going to probably be my – Real, really, my 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 uh, dang, my conclusion for all of these al for most of these albums is, you know, there's there's better blues music out there, and the stuff that's not really bluesy doesn't really grab me. You said something online, uh, we were chatting at one point where you said this album is interesting because it's sort of is something about this could be like there's an alternate history where this is this Jeff Beck and his little merry group take are the big band and Led Zeppelin sort of the 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 second tier group. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, I could see it just because all the elements are there. Like they even both have their own version of uh, "You Shook Me," which is one of my favorite tracks on uh, the first Zeppelin album. But it just like that's my thing about the. That's what I was. That's like what I was saying before. Like my memory of this album will always be better than the actual experience of this album. I think. I think that's just the way it is. Because like. Green Sleeves, I really wasn't a fan of. Um, you know, Blues Deluxe, we just talked about that. Um, and, uh, but the, the rest of it, the rest of it I like enough. Maybe, it, I don't know. The, the first Zeppelin album, it's, it's one of my favorite debuts of all time. It's, it's definitely my favorite album of theirs of all time. So I don't know. I may, I may walk that take back a little bit, but the elements are definitely all there. Um, which is which is more what I was speaking on in, in Page in his true Jimmy Pagery stepped in and said I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna remake this and uh, you know totally dominate with it and uh, that's what happened that's that's the history that we know right um, one more track I wanted to bring up uh, before we before we close this uh, bag up Morning Dew I, I really like that song um, I've gotten into it a little bit more. Uh, re-listening to this album again. It's one of the chiller tracks, uh, on the release. It's, it's, it's a lot more sparse in its arrangement. Right. Um, it's mostly just bass and drums doing very light stuff in the background with, uh, Rod Stewart singing over it. Um, and I'm not very much of a fan of vocal music. Um, I think that Stewart has a cool voice and, you know, the lyrics on this album are, you know, they're blues lyrics. They're, they're not, they're not trying to, you know, change anything, but, Morning Dew is a really interesting song. I guess it's about it's it's an anti-nuclear weapons song from the early '60s, and it's about um, you know one lover talking to another lover and being like, you know, I wish that we could go walk in the morning dew and like enjoy the sunrise and stuff like that, but you can't because it's a nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> I don't know. I think that for like a folk song, I think that's a pretty cool uh, uh, musical. Uh, a starting point for right. for some lyrics. That's a pretty interesting idea. So I don't know. Points there. Uh. <laughs> I think if this album may would have come out a couple years earlier, I think I'd be a little bit more impressed with it. I try to think of this album in context. That this is 1968. This is this isn't coming out now. Um, I mean, if it was, you know, it would just be another Greta Van Fleet record. But anyway, right. <laughs> but. You know, 68, 69 is one of the most interesting years in rock music where this is where the big, where there's some really wild pivots going on because you, as we were discussing in the beginning, in, a, in about a year, In the Court and the Crimson King would be coming out. Yes would be dropping its first album. The big first spawning of prog rock would be coming on and kind of throw blues music uh, out of the main popular, it, it would take it out of the main, out of the mainstream or it would, it would start beginning its decline. So I feel like this album is just like a couple years too late where, you know, if it was released in 65 or 66, it probably would have been a lot more regarded or highly regarded and talked about. Where here, it kind of feels like it's on the tail end of the wrong trend. Yeah, I could, I, I would kind of, I kind of agree with that. I'm a little less harsh on it though. I would say that it's like the last, it comes in at the very last second. Um, because as you said, like the real, the real prog explosion doesn't happen until later on in 68, earlier on in, in 69. So this is sort of like the last 
grasp of it. And like, it's certainly like, I would definitely put this record on before I put on like a, like an Arthur Lee's love right. or uh, like, I don't know. Um, uh, I almost said Herman's Hermits, but that's not, that's not a good example. <laughs> uh, uh, fucking like canned heat or like any of those, uh, sure. you know, Woodstock bands who are playing slightly heavy electrified blue stuff, because this definitely has, uh, some of that swagger that the cock rock bands of the seventies would have, but it's yeah. still a little bit more, it's a little bit more grounded. It's a little bit more earthy. Um, and yeah, I would, you know, I would say that even though I've, I've, I've said before that my opinion on this, on this fluctuates, um, I would say that the one constant throughout it that I, I can really appreciate is, is that guitar tone. Um, it's, it's so good. I don't know. I'm a sucker for, for distorted wah. And to, to, to hear it like this, this early on is, is really cool. As showboaty as, uh, Jeff Beck is. And like this, this album makes absolutely zero, uh, zero qualms about, about shoving that in your face. Right. So I think that's a safe, objective thing to say. But I don't know. I would, I would recommend this, I guess. If you, if you like rock music, like check it out. You, you may find something you like. If, if like, when Alex and I talk about the weird episode or the weird albums, you're like, this is too spooky for me. Jeff Beck might be good for you. Jeff Beck might be able to show you a good time. Oh yeah. Um, I, what I can say is I didn't find any of it offensively bad or stupid or ridiculous. It's just, I don't know. Like not even, not even blues deluxe. Cause I'll concede oh, that. No, no, I'll 100%. Blues deluxe is just very skippable and kind of like, and the second or the second time I went through this album, I listened to maybe two minutes. I went, yeah, I remember nothing. A black cat born on blah blah blah. Left my baby. Uh, something. It's raining. I don't know. Fuck it. But like crossroads. Crossroads. Yeah. <laughs> but like if. If, if I'm going to talk about, like, a, if I want to listen to an, an album of that era, I mean, I'd rather listen to Albert King's Born Under a Bad Sign or Live Wire Blues Power, again, by Albert King. Those are just, to me, much more interesting albums. And I know it's a slightly different style of blues. It's not, like, wah-heavy or, or that heavier vibe, but, mm -hmm. like, you know... A the blues part, which is essential in both situations, is, is definitely stronger on yes. that side. Yes, exactly. So, um, let's, get, let's get fluty. Flout. Flout. Let's get flouty. We're, we're moving. We're moving a couple months forward into 1968. Get in your. Uh, 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 I don't know what a 60s DeLorean equivalent would be. Uh, get in your Alfa Romeo, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and join us as we check out. This was. This was. Um, I, I think I mentioned it, uh, disclosure, I did see Jethro Tull in the summer for, well, Ian Anderson, or Jethro Tull. Ian by, Anderson's Jethro Tull. Ian Anderson, it's, it was Jethro Tull by Ian Anderson, 50th anniversary tour, um, which was probably one of the worst shows I've ever been to, uh, not for a lack of trying, uh, but for, you should you should do a, a, a like a, a half episode solely on your experience there. That was oh like, wow that yeah. Um, that was a, that was a rough ride. But anyway, <laughs> he he covered. I remember he called us. He covered a song for Jeffrey. Well, I guess he played them. It's not covers. Um, he played a song for Jeffrey and he played my Sunday feeling. Um, but okay. Jeff, I I know Jethro Tull. Um, from the ever overplayed Aqualung on the radio, and uh, which he played at the live live as well, and it was really really rough. Um, as, hey, well, you know, it's like I said before, as long as there are dads on the planet, Aqualung will be on the radio. Right. <laughs> um, and also uh, as thick as a brick. So I know him more for his progier, a little bit later in the career stuff, and then I also know, not that I've heard it, but more as a joke, his uh. His his affinity for Christmas music. So yes. this, so this is it's a not little, a joke. It's real. No, I, I mean, <laughs> I know it's not a joke, but it's a joke. Uh, it's not. It's it's not a joke to me, Alex Ian Anderson. <laughs> hey, why don't you buy some merchandise for Jethro Tull? Get yourself a Jethro Tull Santa hat. <laughs> There may have been something like that. Anyway, um, oh my god! Amongst the people wearing Uriah Heep shirts and stick shirts. Yes, and, yes. You see that Mr. Roboto reunion concert? Anyway, um, oh man. 
that's like a weird corner of, of the classic rock world. I just don't fuck with. It's, it is. It's, we're getting into the very the apex of this corner, the zero zero on the graph. Yeah, it, this is it, where it all starts. That really hokey, campy shit. Um. Anyway, so Jethro Tull before that made blues rock, and it's quirky because there's a flute because Tull plays flute, and he he just uh. He uh he really wanted to make flute work in rock music and uh to varying degrees. Uh there's more of a jazzy element to this album. Uh obviously with the very well known cover of uh Roland Kirk's Serenade to a Cuckoo. Um you got sort of a proggier moment like in Dharma for One, which ends in a completely off the rails drum solo. But much like Jeff Beck's Truth, my biggest problem is when when it gets to the blues tracks, it is completely forgettable and uninteresting because it is the same 12-bar, well, my baby left me, so I better be sleeping outside in the cold and rain, waka waka, like, just as, as bare, as basic as it can get. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was really weird, too, when, when Fonzie showed up on this album. <laughs> like, what are you doing on here? <laughs> um, yeah, this this you know, similar with the other albums, um, there there are strong moments on here, but they're also bogged down uh, by some of the lesser moments. Someday the sign won't shine for you. That's probably the most bluesy of these tracks, and I think it's definitely one of the weakest um, on the entire album. Yeah. Uh, but then you have really strong points, like the two instrumentals on this album. Or two of the instrumentals. I think there are a couple more. Uh, Dharma for one and Cat Squirrel. Uh, those bring the fucking ruckus. Those are those are really good. Um, Cat Squirrel especially because uh, you know if we're talking about the blues here, that's definitely a more uh, bluesy song. That's a standard. That's something that uh, Cream covered on their first album, I think. Um, and it's kind of crazy to be able to utter the sentence that uh, Jethro Tell plays harder on this song than Cream does. Um, sort of, uh, foretelling, um, Jethro Tell besting another quote unquote heavy band, uh, later on in the eighties when they won a Grammy, uh, against Metallica, much to the chagrin of, of metal fans anywhere. Oh, I don't know this story. Yeah. It was, um, uh, I remember I saw it on some, um, like VH1, um, like biggest, biggest upsets in, in rock. Brought to you by the Hard Rock Hotel. Yeah, it was best. They won best hard rock heavy metal recording in 1989. Jethro Tell won this Grammy in 89. Uh, so, you know, again, that is, they are way past their prime. Metallica is way in their prime. Uh, and it, it just blows my mind that it happened. It won, they won Crest of the Knave, won against, uh, it doesn't say. Injustice for All. Uh, Injustice for All, yeah, which is widely regarded as one of their better albums. So there's there's a lot of beef uh, between those two bands. Not a thing here, though, because they're playing the blues. Yes, they are. <laughs> um, Dharma for One is really interesting. The solo instrument on that um, is actually a, a, an invented instrument. Um, it's, it's not a saxophone. But uh, that... Uh, that's probably the coolest point on this album for me is, is that solo because I love that sound. Um, it sort of reminds me of like a bass clarinet. It has the, has the grittiness of a saxophone, but it's a little bit lower register. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, and yeah, similar, similar to, to the, to the truth album. I have a problem with the opener. I like, I like my Sunday feeling as a song. Um, however, uh, what I said, to, I made a, I made a, a, a joke to Alex before we started recording to, uh, reference, uh, this YouTube channel that we both watch, Regular Car Reviews. Uh, definitely recommend checking it out. I call this album Brown. It's just a very, it's, it's like dusty. It's a very brown. dusty album. It's brown. Um, it's sort of like permanently in like, uh, like a fugue state. Uh, it wakes up and it's, well, I would I would say there are a couple of moments where the energy spikes, but by and large, I would say it's it's really a middle a middle ground. Um, Dharma for one and Cat Squirrel being the the real moments where the band actually wakes up and shit. Right. Uh, the rest of it is 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 pretty sleepy. 
it's got a ploddingness to it. I, I was at least appreciative to hear it because I had only heard 2018 Ian Anderson do my Sunday feeling and it was fucking tragic at, <laughs> at best because he like his his vocals are vocal cords are so shot. So it's just him kind of like talking in tune, I guess. He just my Sunday. It's word feeling. Yeah, he kind of like yeah, but without <laughs> any of the charm. Of, uh, of Ken Nordine's billowing, deep, uh, sultry voice. Um, shout out to Ken Nordine. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Tull is just one of those bands that I think is just a little a little too corny for uh, for my own good. Oh, Move On Alone. I forgot about that trick. That's sort of like... Uh, that reminded me of a, another weird compliment I can give this album. That's like if Chicago made good songs... I feel like Move On Alone would be, like, a good Chicago song. Oh, those the first two Chicago albums are solid. I like You Make Me So Very Happy, but other than that, I don't know. Can't, back, can't fuck with the Transit sh- Authority. Yeah, ooh. I'll walk. I'll take a fucking cab. Yikes. Chicago. Yikes. <laughs> that's, that's a big city, just to stick it to, to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't have a whole... I'm, 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 I'm consulting my notes, and I don't even have a whole lot written down. It's... It's a very it, boring album. It, it, it just is, yeah. There's there's a couple interesting moments that would kind of indicate where the band would go. Um, and Tull, I feel like I don't have a strong opinion on. Uh, I, I do like Thick as a Brick as an album. It's a very decent prog rock album. Um, uh, obviously, Aqualung, is, as overplayed as it is, was a decent track. Um, they have some good moments. They also have some like corny as fucks moments, which is Tull's biggest issue, is it just gets a little too silly um it's interesting how both these albums so far are laying down the groundworks of the bands like you have jeff beck being flashy you have jeff Wurtel being uh quirky and all over the place yeah in terms of quality i mean oh, jesus christ I, I i know i heard some sort of heavy horse the song heavy horses it's a fucking long song anyway i don't know i'm just rambling I'm just remembering this this concert I went to, and it's like it just hurts my brain to think about to think about it, and all the people like geeked out to see thousand year old Ian Anderson just kind of squelch. He can still get up on one leg. He can. I mean, I will give him credit. He does balance on one leg still. He's got incredible core strength for 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 a grandpa. You've heard of relationship goals, but you may not have heard of core goals, (laughs) and. I'm trying to in 2019. That's my New Year's resolution. I want that Ian Anderson core. Right. I want that that power. It's funny because um, I'm looking at all these photos, like on Wikipedia of Jethro Tull, and they look like they're fucking in it. They are like what, like going crazy. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm listening to this album, and I'm going, when does that happen? <laughs> Two songs, Cat Squirrel and Dharma for One. They they really go crazy there. Um, I I couldn't really recommend this. It's yeah, me it's, neither. Eh, whatever. Definitely, I would say check out Cat Squirrel and Dharma for One, because I, I think those are two really cool uh, jam spots. If you want to hear some cool soloing, if you want to recontextualize this band. Um, apart from that, like, everything else is so milquetoast. Like, even though I, I said, like, with Truth, I, I wasn't too crazy about it every time I listened to it. Like, with this one, it's not coming back. This wave ain't receding. It's permanently gone. The Shores have been dried they've been receded this album is global warming right the 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 shore ain't coming back um one last thing i will say is i like the i like the closing track too it's uh it's round it's uh uh less than a minute long it's it's definitely one of the more jazz inflected ones on this album it's just sort of like a little uh, piano. I almost I want to say interlude, but I don't know if you could really call something that closes an album an interlude because there's no inter. It's more of like an outerlude, I guess. <laughs> We're making up words here. Um. So yeah, I don't know. At least it it, it left it left a good taste in my mouth. It it's certain the middle leave, left something sorely to be desired. But uh, but yeah, this album has its moments. Don't listen to it. I don't know. I, I, I liked song, Serenade for a Cuckoo. Uh, I just like that song in general. Um, obviously, uh, Roland Kirk is going to do a better version of it, but uh, you know, it's it's fine, and it definitely emphasizes the uh, the jazziness that would really uh, yeah would seep into the band, which would then turn into um, 
very a very prog rock band a couple years later and that would carry them for a while before they got folky and then just nonsensical later on and then and then when they started reeling in the grammys (laughs) (laughs) take that metallica yeah Let's 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 wrap this little this little bad boy up um, with which what I would argue is undoubtedly the best of the three albums. Mac Attack, the Mac, the Big Mac, Fleetwood. Um, so this band, it's I, I guess you could say the trajectory is sort of similar to Pink Floyd um, in that they start with this guy who's I wouldn't call him a genius. Some people would. Um, Peter Green, uh, similar to Sid Barrett, um, towards the end of the 60s, they do a little too much of one thing or the other right. and uh, lose themselves along the way. And uh, the band then goes through an interim period before finding its classic sound, which is, you know, Fleetwood Mac and, and Pink Floyd both did those things. And this is sort of the last thing. Uh, this is the last album that Fleetwood Mac did with Peter Green on it, um, and sort of the last thing that they did right before they stopped playing blues music and started to slowly crawl into that uh, that that wool blanket that is uh, uh, divorce core soft rock. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, this album is a real treat. Um, it's it's I, I would describe it as sort of progressive blues. Um, Peter Green. Um, you know, he he definitely got a little bit more experimental um, than than you know anybody else on here, anybody else in the blues scene. I would say really, um, in terms of just you know having a Brian Jones like sensibility for being like I'm gonna pull in this classical influence here and I'm gonna I'm gonna switch up the blues for me a little bit. He knew when to like he knew when and how to switch the formula up and when to keep it straight, which I feel that. These other two albums that we did, they they really didn't have as much of a grasp on that. Yeah. Um, whereas this one definitely does. A uh, lot of good tracks on here, good jams as well. Um, the the searching for Madge, fighting for Madge, um, are, are two great tracks. Um, weirdly edited though, slash weirdly placed. When I was listening to it, um, if I didn't know any better, I would say that they were bonus tracks just in the way that they're presented, how they come like one right after the other um, and how they sort of fade in and out. They just sound like tape fragments. They put on like a deluxe edition or something. Right. Like both those songs were on the original album in this way, but it's just interesting that like um, the way that they sequence them here, because there are like a million different configurations for how these tracks are supposed to go because of uh, international pressings and the like. Yep. And um, just the choice to put those two, uh, improvs together, I thought was a really weird choice that that didn't go over so well um, in my listening experience, at least. I don't know. I don't know if you picked up on that. If if you got that feeling, that yeah, picked up on what? On on them just having like a sort of like throwaway value when they're right next to each other. Yeah. Well, so this that your comment kind of touches, I think, on um, my biggest critique of the album. Which uh, let me start off by saying, overall, this is by and large the strongest of the three it's the most creative creatively uh engineered um while it definitely still touches on blues rock it it does a lot to uh steer stay away from the traditional 12 bar well my baby left me bottom of a bottle railroad tracks freight cars and all that shit kind of thing um i mean the only song i can really think of that really kind of hits that is uh, um show uh showbiz blues mm-hmm. but the guitar tone is so gritty and strange that i totally forgive it um but so to go back to the point you're to saying the, the biggest con- critique i have of this album is the 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 track order is weird and especially so because you kind of have this weird mix of like you'll have like a jam such like searching for madge or uh um what's the other one uh I'm blanking on the other one I was thinking of, but there's some underway. Yeah, I think so. That's the other one Um, that there's these long sort of like jammy kind of numbers. And then all of a sudden you'll have this very spacious, almost improv-y kind of guitar noodling. And then also then a, then like a focus pop kind of song. So like there's kind of this weird uh, um, mixture of different ideas. Oh, well, that's the other one I was thinking of. Oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this weird, bizarre combination of different ideas going on at once that 
kind of has a little bit of a disjointed feel to it, but overall everything on its own stands together well and um, is taking the blues idea at least to a better, a higher level than the other two albums are. There's a little bit of an evolution in creative ideas going rather than just going, let's, let's do the standard 12 bar. Yeah, I would say that, that like the, the, the Jeff Beck album is sort of like augmented blues. He's adding stuff to it. Um, Jeff Rotel is sort of like, we're going to take a left turn down Blue Street instead of a right turn. This, this one is definitely like a natural progression. Like Fleetwood Mac were a relatively respected, uh, British blues band before this in terms of like, right. you know, like on a John Mayall level, like, you know, being like, we're going to, we're going to do things, um, relatively uh by the numbers for the for the purists out there because like i i guess that um and i'm totally taking a shot in the dark here but if i had to take a guess i would say that like the british blues scene sort of developed because of the lack of like touring yeah um world touring wasn't really a thing around this time and so like you know because uh you know uh, england and america are both english-speaking countries and, and they both uh you know, the youth are sort of looking for the same kind of sounds that sort of allows these sort of bands to, to bubble up. Um, and yeah, it's interesting what you said before about Oh Well, because I've always liked Oh Well. I've always thought that the second half of the song is a little bit long, but um, I appreciate it. I appreciate what they're trying to do with it. Um, but at the same time, listening to it in this album, because uh I listened to the, I have the, I have the, the vinyl version of this album and that's one of the tracks that isn't on it. I guess that was the, an American exclusive track. Right. Oh well, which is an interesting choice. Um, you know, considering that we usually think of the Europeans as, uh, having more patience. Um, and, and this, this is a song you need patience for. <laughs> um, but like to have it be smack in the middle and you have this weird Eastern, uh, influenced recorder solo right before, um fucking rattlesnake shake right like it's just it's it's a very weird decision um so i don't know what's going on there and then, like i said that kind of ties into um the larger the, the real biggest critique which is that this is a weird track order and a weird collection of songs where it thematically it does jump all over the place um but again it I, I'm less fussed by it just because everything kind of comes across perfectly fine where I'm not like, what the fuck is this wild hodgepodge of nonsense? It's like, yeah, it's it's all over the map. But... Um, yeah, it rides the line. It does. Uh, the thing you, you also mentioned that this is sort of a logical progression or evolution. I think part of that too is that while for... While I know Jeff Beck had played in other groups, um, that I believe Truth is the first form formal solo album of his or yes. the Jeff Beck group. And then this was, he, was he put first... out that single before it, but it's the first full length. Right. And then, and then uh, for tall, that was the first uh, album where this mm-hmm. is their third or fourth album. Third, but... I think. Yeah. And so third. they've had a little bit of an opportunity to formulate ideas and play around and get to know each other a little bit. So I think that part of what you're hearing may even just be the natural uh, evolution of the, that this band has just by being around each other and getting to know each other a little bit more, which obviously works to its credit because the songwriting is solid, even in its very sparse moments. Um, uh, what what was the other song? I'm trying to think of um, like the song "Underway," which almost just kind of feels oh, my like, dream is that the other one you're thinking of? That's it's sort of similar to that. Or, or "Underway," which kind of just feels like some almost kind of like a noodling around in the studio, like. Mm-hmm. Even little moments like that just feel really well composed and interesting and exciting to listen to. Um, so it's it's even in its most uh, loosely formed moments, the album is is engaging and uh, really really pulls you in. Yeah, it has it has a very interesting vibe to it too. Because if if I were to describe this album, I would say that it sort of reminded me a lot of um, uh, fucking um, Sleepwalk. You know that song? Uh, the the it's like Santos and Ken. I think is that that or, or something like that. It's some '50s standard. Maybe. It's like it's 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 it, 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 it. This album sort of has like that sleepy like desert blues feel to it, which yeah. is interesting considering it's from uh, sunny old England, eh? <laughs> yeah, I could definitely yep. see like with the opener coming your way with that heavy like tom floor tom roll. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some hand percussion in there too. It kind of has that like cruising along the desert kind of vibe. So there's there's yeah. definitely moments like that. Yeah. Um, weirdly mixed album though. Yes. 
It's like, especially, um, we, we talked about my dream before I was listening to that. That sounds like it's recorded from a cassette and like the rest of it doesn't. And so I, I wonder, um, you know, if, if that was a, a factor in the production of this album. Showbiz Blues 2 kind of has like almost a lo-fi kind of vibe to it. Like I can almost see that being recorded in modern day in someone's bedroom and pitchfork giving it an eight out of 10. Yes. Um, but... I like that. I, I was, that, that was another thing I wanted to bring up. Like, We've in in the last two albums we both knocked on when they've tried to do like the real blues. Yeah, this is the realest blues on this album, and I I do enjoy it, and I I do think the production goes a long way. Um, you know, having two guys, one person doing percussion, one doing guitar, one of them singing, uh, with like one mic in a large room, um, it gives it a very cool feel. Well, and the guitar sounds like a tuned table saw. That's that's to me why I think it sounds it's interesting because it's got this kind of like gritty like or like a lawnmower that's not quite working right. Um, it's there's a snarlingness to the guitar. I don't know what they're doing to create that sound, but it, it works really well. There's also the absence of that the bass that doing that boom 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 kind of thing what like you, you know what i mean and like oh i know i know so like the absence of that helps it work. bass song number bass chord progression uh or, or blues chord progression number two right exactly. of course so it, all of that stuff is to the detriment so you have this weird sparse almost kind of like lead belly um mixed with a chainsaw kind of sound and that's why the, the most basic blue song here works because they're still doing something a little bit different um, they're, they're, and it's, it, and it's the ver, it's the flip of the, of Jeff Beck where Jeff Beck does, you know, Beck's deluxe or whatever. And it's, let's just do crazy guitar solos and Rod Stewart can wail, um, and all sorts of, and like be as flashy and in, in musically proficient as possible where these guys go, how do we strip it away and make it almost as basic as possible? But somehow you come out with the more interesting song at the, uh, on the other side. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say the word elegance. Yes, I would say that's the the thing that they're really adding here, um, and like the the album cover is sort of a perfect uh, perfect example of that. You have a, a naked man riding a uh, a horse in a a uh, a landscape. Yep. I mean, we've all been there, right? I've never been in that good of shape, but you know, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> He's ripped. One one thing that I, I also think puts this album in context that I found out when I was I was reading up on this is I guess that they saw that uh the the mural or the painting that this album cover is, they saw it in like like a breakfast room at like an inn or something like that. And I'm like, okay, this this album sort of has that feel. It has that like warm blanket quality to it yeah there's this there's a sleepiness know. to it but a good, like yeah. not like it puts you to sleep but just kind of like uh I'm, yeah. I'm cuddling and watching the rain jethro tell put me to sleep this album this album is a nice yeah not 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 falling asleep situation it's just weird because i have no i'm not a fleetwood mac scholar by any definition specifically i've, I've heard this and i've heard rumors and the dichotomy is outrageous yeah. And so it, it does make me want to go like, how in the world did they get from point A to point B? Where how are they making kind of sleepy blues, deserty vibes to like cocaine madness? Um, I'll actually tell you, it was Christine McVie. She uh, she gets added on the album after this, and at that point, um, they they you know Peter Green leaves. He he loses his mind. And they do the Pink Floyd thing where they're like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna stamp out our own, um, sound here. And, uh, the way they do that is they hire McVie, who's sort of like a David Gilmore. Right. In this situation, I guess. And, uh, and yeah, she decides to take it down, like completely throw away the blues, completely throw away all the, pro- uh, progressive elements and, um, just be like, yeah, we're just gonna do simple AM rock songs. And, uh, that gets you to that point. Uh, another album I like, or another track I was really into on here that I always forget about um, is "Before the Beginning." Um, very cinematic track. Um, it's it has interesting production quality for the rest of it. I know that we've talked about how this album sounds a little bit fuzzy, but like this is a different kind of fuzzy. Right. Um, I don't know how to exactly uh, articulate it. It. it it almost sounds like everything's coming through one of those, like, you know, those tiny little pig nose amps. Yeah. Like little tiny, and like every, it's just like your automatic distortion, basically. Right. Um, 
it sort of reminds me of that, but they do this like, like early fifties rock music style thing, but it has this like, instead of like the, the, the swooning, um, you know, we're all going to go to the dance and, uh, you know, sock hop shit. Um, it has this like apocalyptic feel, uh, <laughs> which is a very interesting way to close out this album. Right. And I and it's got some good ha- some uh, Hammond organ stabs as well. Oh yeah. Which uh, I mean, it's it's no Mellotron, but I am also a sucker for some of that shit too. Cert- certain some of those classic rock sounds where I'm like, you could really shoehorn that in, and I'm like, all right, I'm I'm listening, I'm on board. What what do you got for me? They, they know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. They fucking overall listening to these three while there's some curious moments and i i fleetwood i think definitely deserves a hard listen and i'd say a, per, a an outright purchase i think it's yes. an important album i to me what i hear here is that is britain obviously because this is an american style of music the blues um and working on it playing with it but ultimately i don't get a lot of sense of england really doing a whole lot of great stuff with it which makes sense because like i said earlier this is this period 68 69 is when you start really seeing some big shifts to some really different stuff and that's when you have you know the who led zeppelin king crimson yes uh, a myriad of bands starting to take off and and while there may be some blues as a as an origin point especially for zeppelin and, and the who um it really starts shooting off in some different directions and really going far and away from it it just seems like i it just if if you were to it's ask, it's a good me, thing. It's a good, good thing, thing that it did. It's a good thing that it did because I don't think England really did a great job with the blues. It was they they don't I don't think they kind of they kind of understood it musically, but I think there's because there's a large cultural component to the blues. Um, you know, poor rural uh, uh, southern United States um, that obviously doesn't exist in cold wet England. Uh, it, it just something something about it doesn't there's a, there's almost like a cultural disconnect where it's like hey we're imitating it we're playing all the notes but there, there's a there's a total lack of vi- uh, feeling or vibe that I get from like you know if I'm listening to like a Lead Belly album or something like that where there's there's like a pain uh, that's radiating from from it. Yeah, and and like I guess if we're talking about old masters, um, I would say that, but in terms of like new upstarts, I would say that Britain definitely has the advantage, and maybe not at this point, um, because this is post-Hendrix moving, right? Um, and Hendrix moving locations from London to New York, like, that brings a lot of weight um, in terms of, of this style of music, but I don't know, I think before that, if you look at, like, new bands in, like, the mid-60s, like, 65, 66, like, that era, like, prime British invasion, right? I don't know, man, I gotta, I gotta give it up to England. Well, what, British Invasion was a little more poppy and and even some like mod rock stuff. So I don't know. It's it's a weird. It is a it is a weird gray area. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Listen, listen to Fleetwood Mac for sure. Listen to Fleetwood Mac. Uh, just just don't do all, all the drugs that Fleetwood Mac did, or otherwise you. I mean, unless you wanna, if you wanna have a real. Uh, uh, you know, seventies relationship with your significant other, where you're, you know, throwing bottles of bourbon at each other, um, <laughs> while like the kid is crying in the corner, and uh, you know, I'm in fucking Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Fuck you! You can go your own way. Go your own way. Call it Stevie. Yo, isn't it weird that like the guy's name is is Lindsay and the girl's name is Stevie? Am I right? Which one's is that weird? Which one's which one's Mac? Oh my god. <laughs> Chris, what have you been listening to? Uh we got we got a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna only pick I'm I'm gonna only pick a little bit here because it's been a while since we recorded an episode. But um, just last night, I I. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and he hooked me up with the 2018 album. I've been waiting for to save the day uh, where this was a couple weeks ago. I don't know. It wasn't on my computer though. Um, the Mesthetics, That is a, a, a portmanteau of mess and aesthetics. Ooh. Um, it is an instrumental band comprised of members of Fugazi. What? Um, 
playing some cool instrumental music. Um, that, that so that was a real treat. Definitely listen to that. Um, uh, I won't say that it, it changed my opinion on on the year, but um, it allowed me to remove Adrian Young's album from the top five, which makes me feel a little bit more comfortable because I thought that album was milk toast. Um, so that's a good thing. Check out that. I also found uh, yet another all Mellotron album. Robbie Grant and Jonathan Kirksey uh, duets for Mellotron. Um, really cool album. It's it's sort of in the vein of like uh, it's it's a more ambient thing. Um, it, it has some uh, some Brian Eno influence, maybe some uh, some Philip Glass influence too. I would say. Um, so so check that out if you if you believe that the Mellotron rule is law. If you uh, bow down uh, before that that glistening white synthesizer. Um, then, then be sure to pick up this album. Uh, another one, Zavi, I'm gonna butcher this name, but fuck it. Zavi Reja, uh, The Sound of Earth. I got hit to this from a DGM, uh, uh, live posting that was talking about some albums that Tony Levin had been on recently. Um, this was one of them. It's, uh, it's him, Marcus Reuter, uh, the, the titular Zavi and some other guy. Yeah, so I, I believe I saw the 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 YouTube clip. I clicked through it. It definitely has some interesting moments there. Yeah, it's it's heavy prog. I mean, you've heard it before, right? Um, <laughs> but if you want if you want some more in your life, uh, it's there for you. It's got your back. It's pretty good. Um, uh, Craftwork. I recently found this uh, this live recording from '71, which shows yes. a, a very different side of this band, um, where it is just uh, uh, Florian from Kraftwerk on synthesizers and flutes, and then you have uh, Olive New uh, on guitar and drums, um, and so they make some some weird uh, heavy uh, experimental instrumental music that could only be made. On, a, on an East German radio or a West German radio station in 1971. Uh, <laughs> so definitely, uh, that's that's a real treat. Give that a listen because uh, Kraftwerk is more than uh, uh, We Are the Robots and um, Pocket Calculator and uh, all of those things. Then to close it off, we'll close it off with another uh, rock band. Uh, Tangerine Dream recently featured in the uh, Choose Your Own Adventure Black Mirror episode Bandersnatch. Uh, it, it, it sort of recontextualized them for me. I always thought they were a little bit too, uh, how do you say boring, um, for me to listen to. Uh, they, they sort of, they, they're, they're heavy on the atmospherics and, and not so much on, um, the, the, the sound and excitement that, that I like in my seventies electronic music. Um, but I checked out, uh, a couple albums of theirs, um, they were uh, Ricochet and Rubicon. One is a uh, live album. One is a studio one. I can't remember because they both sound so similar in, in names. Um, but that's some cool uh, sequencer-based uh, heavy Mellotron uh, German electronic music. So give that a listen. Dance to that. Phaedra is usually one of the highlights. Yes, those, those are the two albums that came out after Phaedra. They're often lumped into like a trilogy. Right. In terms of like classic Tangerine Dream era stuff, what have you been listening to? What you got? Um, I listened to another album by Cybotron, which was like an Australian electronic prog. Band. Oh, they're Australian. I didn't know that. They are Aussies. Um, I had listened to their final album a couple, like sometime last year. I'm blanking on the name of it, but it, at the time I listened to it, I went, you know, this sounds good. It's just kind of missing the mark. So I thought maybe it was just a end of the end of the career slump and was so, it colossus no well so this time okay. i did no it was implosion okay um i mean but no so this time i listened to colossus and number one there are genuine mistakes in the in the album that you can hear in the recording so i'm guessing they had like two takes and that's all they could do um <laughs> which for probably a poor band that didn't have money that's all they could do and fine whatever yeah because you actually had to let you couldn't just like record everything in your bedroom back then Overall, Cybotron, I think I'm leaving it as conceptually a lot more interesting than execution. Um, it just, I'm always like, it's it's there. The elements are there. It just never quite works. It's completely forgettable. Yeah, um, that was that was my feeling on them too. Uh, 
another band that again conceptually should be good just isn't um friend of mine from the internet world uh highly praises the band 22 um so i went and finally checked out one of their albums from 20 it was from 2017 you are creating limb one which to me sounds like if muse made a prog album the i can't stand the singer um at all it just doesn't work and it just kind of feels like heavy prog um there were some really corny lyrics I don't remember totally at the moment, but there was a couple moments where I, I definitely had some hard cringes. Um, it's just, it's not for me. I don't like that operatic kind of singing, especially in my prog music. It just sounds a little too, a little too corny. I need, I need some grit to be mixed with all the overly indulgent guitar solos and shit. Um, uh, Ian Anderson from, from Yes being the only exception, because it's just, it's just too ridiculous. I mean, John Anderson. That's the one. <laughs> Ian you got tall on the brain. Ay, ay, ay. Jethro, you're, you're in my brain space. So um, one, Chris, that you recommended, I finally got around to 48 Chairs, uh, 70, mm-hmm. 70% Paranoid, um, a weird uh, post-punk band uh, album that kind of, I think it's sort of like got glued together from random studio takes or something. I don't know quite the history on it. I think I, I know that it came like it had one pressing. Okay. In 1981, so it may have been like a fully conscious studio thing, and and then they did the re-release through Finders Keepers. Yes, Finders Keepers Records, if you don't know, is definitely worth checking out um, too. Uh, they're, but they're doing God's work. It, it's kind of like if Oingo Boingo got like, thrown in a blender and a bunch of drugs were mixed in too. It's it's out there, but it's pretty interesting. A lot of strange little moments. Um, and uh, especially as we've discussed, the '80s have a lot of has a sort of a, as a is a desert in terms of quality music. So it's definitely worth checking out. Um, w- one more. Uh, it was a compilation album, uh, Disc Larray, uh '70s French West Indies Boo Boo Galoo. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I was the walrus. <laughs> yeah. Um. It. I love this little compilation. It's got some fun little boogie sounds from from way back when. Uh, so, so can you can you define boogie for myself and the listeners? Like, is this like like classic like interpretation of what the boogie is? No. Is this like a small faces type thing, you, no. or like a Bachman Turner Overdrive type boogie? No, no. This is more of like a sort of uh, got some more Tropicalia kind of mixed it, or maybe that's okay. the right jo- genre to say. But there's definitely more of a worldly mix into it. So there's some really cool grooves that you just kind of dance to. You have a, you have a good time to, you, you, you want a boogie to it, but it's not like American, like boo, do, 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 kind of boogie. It's winga dinga. Yeah. It's not winga dinga boogie. It's like, it's cool, smooth, sexy, uh, French music in, in a foreign film kind of boogie. Ooh. Um, that you're like, oh, I want to smoke cigarettes and drive a Citroen convertible. And drink, I mean, I'm into these things. And, I'll have to check this out. And, dr- and drink wine while driving on the highway and then have uh, unprotected sex all the time. Get, get in a car accident with my mistress that will permanently sully my marriage. Bingo. That's that's the kind of shit this is. Um, it's great. It's it's just it's fun stuff to put on the background and listen to and uh, feel, feel cool and sexy, too. Uh, yeah. That's that's what I got, Chris. We did it. We have blues no more. I we have conquered the blues. <laughs>